Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. Here are your hosts. Voyagers, ye people of old who traverse the seas with us in a giant metal tube, Welcome, welcome to the Tabletop Submarine. It is so good to have you here with us today. As always, my name is Josh. With me is my number one, my number two, but never my number three. Wow, I, I don't know where that puts me on the uh, the number charts. Usually numbers refer to things that we don't normally speak about. But anyway, uh, my name is Andrew and I'm here the co-host and we are lucky enough to have Scott Morris of Lucky Duck Games put up with us. So thank you for stopping by. Thank you for indulging us and welcome to the show. Thank you. I guess that makes me number three at this point, right? (laughs) Well, three is a lucky number. This is the, this is for, yeah, for listeners who won't know this, this is the third time we've tried making this, this meeting happen. And by just the grace of the tabletop gods, something has always come up where either the internet strikes out or something blows up on our microphones, but we're just really excited to have you on the show, Scott, and everything's finally aligning. So for people who don't know who you are, Scott, who are you and what do you do in the hobby? Sure. Uh, I'm a janitor. I clean toilets. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I think the heroes. heroes. <laughs> yeah. Not all heroes wear capes, right? That kind of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, so my name is Scott Morris. I'm chief sales and marketing officer for Lucky Duck Games. Uh, most people know us for Chronicles of Crime or Destinies and things like that that we've produced over the last several years. Um, I, in my role as chief sales and marketing officer, I'm actually responsible for uh, the global sales team, global marketing team, and the global editorial team as well that does translations for us. Because apart from doing our own games and our own studio games, we also have an entire division called the GPN, which is a global publishing network where we act as an agent for other publishers to help them translate their games and localize them in different regions. And then we also do our own localizations in Paris, uh, actually not Paris, all of France, uh, uh, all of France, all of Poland and Italy as well. So we have our own editorial team on staff that does translations as well. So little bit of everything. So the most important part of that for me is that you bring games from places I can't normally get them to me. And so thank you for being the person who makes those things more worldwide. Because we could all use more games that we normally yeah, can, don't have access to. It's pretty awesome. Um, in fact, our, our latest release that's going to come out at Gen Con, uh, Cosmoctopus, is from a company in the UK that we uh, fell in love with the company and fell in love with the game and are working with them to do English distribution and marketing for it and sales. So it's it's that's a very exciting and fun part of the company. Great, yeah. Scott. You just added another game to my list of games to check out at the next con. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> if you want me to solidify it, it was designed by Henry Audubon, the designer of parts. Nice. He's uh, he's ace. Yeah, that's book, that's great. So. so when you are with your team and you're looking at games that you want to bring into either distribution channels or publish as Lucky Duck, what do you look for? Well, what makes a Lucky Duck game? So that's a great question. Um, so we actually we have our own studio. Uh, we have a chief development officer, Philip Moinsky, and we have a very large team of people that do our own development of our own studio games. Um, the majority of our games, um, I mentioned before, Chronicles of Crime and Destinies, majority of our games that we make from the studio are what we call digital hybrid mm-hmm. games. They're games that are tabletop board games that you play, but they have an app-driven element to them, something that will either be a companion to you or a narration part of expanding on the experience of the game. 
Um, that's one of the biggest things for us is about the experience mm-hmm. and making sure that everyone around the table has not just a unique experience, but a super fun experience as well. Um, those are the studio games that we make that we develop and we do on our own internally. Um, one of the games, for example, like we're working on right now, uh, that we're hoping to have everything done and fulfilling later this year from a, a game found campaign was Divinus, uh, which was actually designed by Philip, our chief development officer. Um, and the team has been working on developing that and getting it ready, um, with right now, I think we're, we're looking at, uh, fulfilling before the end of the year at the end of Q4, right in Q4 there. Uh, it's just a really awesome tile laying legacy game where you have like different Greek gods and like Thor's in there and like all these like awesome things are happening, but you're placing tiles and because it's a legacy game, you're changing the tiles and like putting new locations down. So the next time you play, there's different things that you interact with and the app remembers all of that. And like, you, you don't have to you know, remember where you were, or what did this thing do or anything like that? So once you come back to a place and, you know, oh, there's an Oracle shrine here or something, then suddenly the app will remember that and you'll have to, you know, move into what, what the story changes with that, which is really cool. Um, outside of that, um, the games that we will do with partners, so like, for example, the Cosmopolis game, um, it's a little bit different in each region. So uh, my teams are set up between the English market, which are predominantly employees in America, um, then uh, French market uh, in France, uh, scattered all throughout France, uh, Polish market and the Italian market. Um, and each one of those are a little different in terms of you know, what types of games the consumers look for, what you know, thematics, what mechanics and things like that. Um, I can tell you generally, though, when you look at like the English market, which is our largest market, um, the games that we look for for partners to, to work with and, and bring into distribution and retail are pretty much... I can just kind of sum it up in one word, which is Flamecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you, when, you <laughs> when you look at Flamecraft um, and you look at the other games, so games like My Shelfie, games like Namalia, games like uh, Cosmoctopus that are going to come out later this year, they're games that are generally $50 mm-hmm. or less in SRP. They're games that are absolutely beautiful, games that you know people look at and immediately are like, wow, that is just absolutely gorgeous artwork. Um, they're very easy to teach. They're, they're teachable in like 10 minutes tops, 15 minutes tops. Um, and they're things that you could play, you know, out in public at a cafe with friends, or you could play with your family. And as I say, things that you could teach your grandkids or your grandparents and enjoy either way. So we want to make games that are very approachable and, and very broadening because apart from just doing the obvious, which is, you know, selling as many games as humanly possible, I actually look at one of my priorities is to bring more people into the gaming yes. hobby and bring, bring them into the industry. And the easiest way to do that is make them feel comfortable and make them feel welcomed at the table. And doing that through games that are approachable is one of the easiest ways. Yeah, so. nothing brings people in like a quick, easy teach and a fun time doing it. That sounds mm-hmm. great. So in your opinion, what is um, what, what, what is an area of the tabletop market, either be a, like a region or just a part of the world that you think has the most potential for either like design or the hobby to grow? Oh, uh, that's a great question, actually. Um, I actually, I think Australia is a huge opportunity. There's a lot of our partners in Australia are doing extremely mm-hmm. well. The distribution partners are. There's several really good designers that are in Australia as well. And as you can imagine, like, getting out of Australia to come to shows, especially in North America is like, you know, 24 hour travel and it's like a brutal amount of time. So um, I don't think that there's been enough light shown on Australian designers in that area. There's a lot more though. I mean, there's, there's so many different places right now that have different opportunities. 
Um, that's a great question, though. I, I, I would say just off the top of my mind, I would say Australia. Most board games out there are a board game experience that you take out of a box and that's what you get. What your studio is doing about yep. having an augmented side storyline or a side app that helps mm-hmm. things out becomes more immersive, even if it's just for tone and style and a, yep. and a GM-less experience or something like that. You bring another person or another entity into your game that you wouldn't normally get and can't provide yourself. I think that's another place that I think yep. can expand in the world of board games and bring more immersive, more fun, more storytelling elements to it. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have tried the the app kind of route, so to speak. Um, some have done really well, some have not. Um, I don't want to say who it was, but I did play a game recently that um, they were actually looking to work with us. And, and you know, because they had an app, they thought it was a good alignment of, you know, hey, if this is a good game and a good app, then it kind of fits with what you guys do. Um, but the final version of their app actually took away from the experience rather than added to mm-hmm. the experience. And that's, that's one of the most challenging things, I think. Um, our, our development studio, we have a lot of app developers that are actually in our studio. Um, a lot of them come from the video game side of the world, and they understand the importance of narration and story and experience overall. And I think, I think that's a big difference. I think, I don't want to say the words, it's easy to make an app because it's not, but in terms of making an app functional versus making an app value add, there's a big difference between those two things. And I think that that's one of the things our studio does really good is the app is not intrusive, but it adds to that experience and makes it a more enjoyable time with the game. Yeah. And I think subtleties of improvement are where you get the professionals to to step up, right? Like it's people who are good at what they do can provide that little bit of difference and that little touch and that little bit of experience that really improves it versus trying it for the first time and trying to get something out there to be new and edgy. For sure. Totally. So is there a particular project that you have been, you know, maybe the most proud of? Is there like a favorite game that you guys, that you've been involved with? Um, So that's tough for me to say because I've actually only been here for a little under a year. Um, I came to Lucky Duck in August of last year. Um, Extremely proud of working with Cardboard Alchemy with Flamecraft. I think Flamecraft is an absolutely beautiful game and just wonderful for the tabletop hobby in Mm -hmm. general um i've had so many people just come up to us at shows and be like this is gorgeous like this is so adorable i just want to live in this town and it's like yeah i do too like i really wish we could (laughs) right um so i've been really really proud to work with them not just because of the game but because of the people as well peter and brad the owners of cardboard alchemy are just absolutely tremendous people and you know it's a it's a wonderful intersection when you get to work on a great product that has good results but you also get to work with good people and enjoy that piece of it as well. Um, I am personally really excited about Divinus, the game that we talked about (laughs) earlier. Um, We had a chance uh, in November of last year, um, the entire sales and marketing team got together with studio team. And we do this from time to time. uh, And we played through several games that are, you know, in development that are being worked on right now. And Divinus was the one that everyone came away with like, wow, like this is so amazingly <laughs> cool, right? It's like at first when you start to play the game, you're like, oh, okay, it's a, it's a tile placement game. And okay, this is what I'm doing. And this is how I'm connecting things. And then the minute you have that like first discovery, you're like, oh, this is how this works. Nice. You're like, oh, this is this is not anything what I thought was going to happen. And it's really awesome. And it's just, 
that experience is really cool. So I'm I'm really looking forward to having that one delivered later this year and seeing people's reactions. Your description to it. has me drooling already, so I cannot wait to hear more about this. <laughs> uh, you know, Man versus Meeple did a really good video nice. on it uh, back when we were doing like some some videos with Kickstarter and everything. Um, they they did a really I'm sorry Gamefound that was that was on Gamefound um, but they they did a really really good video of it um, I know David's like really excited about it as well so it should be fun to get it out soon well nice so we look forward to Divinus and everything that Lucky Duck has been putting out but let's go ahead my instruments are starting to wiggle back and forth which means it's time <laughs> to get into the pre-launch the pre-launch get to know us and our guests. So, in the pre-launch, we talk about one game we played recently and what we thought about it. So, let's go ahead and kick this off. Andrew, I'm going to hand it off to you. What have you been so playing? So, I tried a game by Phil Walker-Hardings talking about Australian people. Uh, but uh, he played. He had a game out in 2020 called Cloud City. Uh, this is a tile-laying game with a three-dimensional element. So, you are building a three-by-three three block of a city. As you put a tile down, it has a orange blue or green building on it and that represents how high that building goes and then as you put them down you put the building on top of the spots and then you try to connect them to the other tiles in your three by three grid by a walkway but the heights and where they're positioned on the uh, square tile that you're dropped on will either make it possible to go across in that bridge or the bridge will be blocked by the buildings. Different like It's a very strategic little interesting game. And it's a little bit of a race because you want to have the longest walkway, but there's only a few of each of those available. So you have to kind of try to get yours quickly before your opponent gets blocked out of it. It's actually a really cool, simple game. It feels like King Domino with a three dimensional element. And I really am enjoying it. I've only played a couple of times, but uh, definitely want to check out. Well, awesome. Scott, what have you been playing? I've been playing a really big game. Um, I got The Witcher, The Old World, finally, from my Kickstarter, and I'm a huge fan of The Witcher. Um, I've been a huge fan even before working with a Polish company, which was great. Um, <laughs> but I I was a little worried about it at first. I sat down and opened up the rule book, and it was kind of a very processized mm-hmm. rule book, and, and those tend to bore me sometimes. <laughs> I was like, I was like, uh-oh, this, this may be a little difficult. Um, but it is, it's got one of my favorite things that most deck builders don't do. And I wish they did more of, which was chain combos Mm. based on the color of cards you play and the symbols that connect the cards. There was a game that AEG came out with probably close to a decade ago now. Um, and the name is escaping me because we're recording (laughs) and I should be talking, but, um, I want to say it was nightfall if I remember right. It was a kind of a vampire themed deck building game where you had moons and different colored moons to connect each other. So instead of just playing your hand, you would have to play it in certain combinations. And The Witcher does that. And that part of it is super fun and super cool. But the really super fun and super cool part of The Witcher is this exploration mechanic where you go to a town and then you choose to like search you know, for an adventure in the city or outside Mm -hmm. the city. And you can get these like chain story quests Mm -hmm. and they're really simple. They do it really smart. It's not this like really heavy, you know, process thing. It's just read this card, make an A or B decision from that. It'll lead you somewhere else. And they're just really, really cool. If you're familiar 
with The Witcher, The Witcher started actually from a book of short stories. And that's what it feels like. It feels like you're having these micro stories throughout the game as you play, which is just really, really awesome. And it doesn't hurt that it comes with like a bajillion minis, which are never going to get painted, <laughs> but they're awesome. <laughs> if you had the opportunity to work on a Witcher game, how would you approach it? Um, I actually would love to take our Destiny system, change Ooh. it from uh, what it is right now, and turn it into The Witcher. Um, I think the exploration piece of the Destinies works good. I think the competitive piece of the Destinies works good because you can be different witchers from different mm -hmm. schools trying to, to dig in on that. I've had several people tell me Destinies is the witcher without the witcher, right? You know, so, um, if, if, if I could like pluck any IP out of the air to like, you know, work on with that, that would be the two combo I would do. So, but that's, that's a lot easier said than done. I, I, I bet like, especially with, I mean, I, I feel like The Witcher with the Netflix show kind of skyrocketed in popularity recently, even though the games, the game and the you know, Wild Hunt, the third one was a really big game as well. So yeah. now since Henry Cavill did his magic on it, it's, you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, The Witcher's awesome. And, yep. you know, it's hard to get a hold of things now, <laughs> sadly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. If you if you do get a chance, I would highly recommend reading the book The Last Wish. That is probably the best one of The Witcher's books, in all my opinion. Is that Geralt or is that a different Witcher? Uh, it's Geralt and there's a bunch of different short stories in it. And it's just, it's really, really cool. Last Wish. Okay. I've always been meaning to get into the Witcher books because I heard they're really great. I just never know where to start. It's the Last Wish. And yep. my, once I get my Audible credit this month, I'll go ahead there you and go. download There you go. I, I need something to read on the way to Origins. So. Nice. Speaking of which, I am really excited because I get to go to Origins in a couple weeks. This will be probably released a little bit either before or after Origins, but I'm going to be playing a game called Den of Wolves. Mm. So are either of you familiar with Mega Games? I am. Yeah. So Scott is, for those of you who don't know, Mega Games are like combination minis game, RPG, and board game, mm. kind of all mishmashed together. And if you don't know what they are, Shut Up and Sit Down did a video about seven years ago that explains it and breaks down one mini game called Watch the Skies about like aliens and stuff. And ever since I saw that, I've been dying to play one. They're a lot more popular in like the UK and stuff like that. But there is a league here that organizes stuff. And I'm going to be participating in one I've been wanting to do called Den of Wolves. This is basically Battlestar Galactica if it was expanded out to more of a giant epic six six to eight hour game where we're playing survivors of a fleet of people who are trying to escape a ongoing threat called the wolves from my understanding and i don't know how this game works i there's not i don't have i haven't downloaded the rulebook or anything but i'm really excited because if i get to participate in like the social aspect the miniature tactical aspect or you know even the you know the uh, the uh, just the, the aspects of the role playing and tactical miniatures games that I love all together in one six hour experience. I'm just super amped because I've always wanted to run one down here where I live in North Carolina, and I I just want I just am excited. I'm pumped. I get to do this. I've been trying to do this for about two or three years now, and the pandemic didn't help. And I almost did it last year, but they canceled it. But this year they're doing it. They have the people for it. So I am just amped beyond all belief. Saturday Night Origins to play some Den of Wolves. I'm so nice. glad you brought this up because this is not even my radar and, and I now want it to be. This sounds like the perfect kind of convention experience. <laughs> like once again, talking about things you can't do from a box at home with a couple of your friends, 
you can't have this experience. Yep. So going to conventions, doing those things where you can do the kind of things you can't normally do, this sounds right up my alley. Dude, if you want to, there's still tickets left and it's free. Get we'll chill out and we'll I'll make I'll email the guys as hey, me and Andrew want to be together and play okay. some stuff. Do it. Sounds good. We'll talk later for sure because I'm excited to do this. Awesome. Are you gonna be is Lucky Duck gonna be at Origins, Scott? No, Lucky Duck is not gonna be at Origins this year. Um we just finished up UK Games Expo. Um, we nice. had a couple of distributor shows over in the UK that we went to. Uh, and then my sales director right now is en route as we speak to uh, Astra, which is actually in Columbus, Ohio, at the same place that Origins is, is going to be at in a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, but uh, Astra is the American Specialty Toy Retailer Association. So um, nice. kind of the toy store version of Gamma, so to speak, if anyone's familiar with that. Um, and then uh, we got Gen Con coming up and a whole host of things after that between Essen and PAX Unplugged and BGG Con and stuff. Well, I'm excited to see Lucky Duck PAX Unplugged then. I can't make Gen Con this year. But for those of you who are going, make sure to check out Lucky Duck's booth. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we're very excited about it. Well, my instruments are saying that we have a bunch of petrol or nuclear. We're still trying to figure out if we're a petrol and nuclear <laughs> might be reactor kerosene. on this submarine. I don't even know if <laughs> it might be. You know, it's butane. We're going to say it runs off butane. There you go. <laughs> Let's go ahead and head into our dive. More likely it's whale oil. That makes sense. <laughs> whale. It takes a, lot, a long time, but it's worth it. It's worth it. There you go. Scott. The helm is yours. Regale us with tales of tabletop yore. <laughs> uh, this is where you want me to tell you about like memories and mm -hmm. stuff, right? Yeah, just share with us your most your most your most memorable board game experience. It'll it'll be a little emotional, um, and I, I think I've told this story maybe once or twice on a couple other things, but it's been a while since I've done this. Um, but uh, when I when I first got into the industry, um, I was vice president of business development at Arcane Wonders. And uh, it was right when we were starting the Dice Tower Essentials and Sheriff mm -hmm. of Nottingham and things like that. Great experience. Love the people there. Had a lot of fun doing it. Um, but at the time, they were primarily known for Mage Wars. That was the, the big game that Arcane Wonders was known for. And if you hadn't played it or hadn't seen it, um, imagine Magic the Gathering with a physical spatial aspect. Mm -hmm. And instead of a deck, you have a spell book that you can actually look through and just go get any card you want. Um, really, really fabulous, fabulous game. We were at a show. Um, I was about maybe five months into my my, my tenure there. Um, and we were at Dice Tower East. Uh, it used to just be called Dice Tower Con at the time. And a uh, very smaller show when it comes to having like publishers and, and booths there and everything. But a guy came up to me on the first day and he looked at me and he said, you're the guys that make Mage Wars. And I was like, yeah. And he hugged me. And I was like, awkward okay <laughs> and he starts crying and i was like oh my god okay this is not this is not our standard little interaction here like okay i was like i was like are you okay often. yeah i was like are you okay and he goes i am he goes i'm sorry that probably has really creeped you out and i'm like no it's fine like obviously there's something emotional here i said i'm, I'm i don't know if this is good or bad and he's like no it's very it's very good and i was like oh okay and he proceeded to tell me a story that um, they had a son who was autistic and had a lot of challenges interacting mm -hmm. with people and that their child psychologist and neurologist had both recommended that they use board games to interact with their son and try to get him to 
focus on board gaming and maybe let some inhibitions down to interact with people in a little mm-hmm. easier way. And that they have been trying for almost six to seven months, different types of games, you know, blue orange games, things that were, you know, kind of very easy, very simple to get going. Um, and they had good experiences and bad experiences. And he told me that him and his wife had started to play Mage Wars. And after about three months of playing the game, they were playing in their kitchen and their son walked in and he was about 11 at the time and basically looked at the board and watched them for like five, 10 minutes straight. And at one point, his mother made a move and he put his hand on his mom's hand and said, don't do that. Move over here and cast the spell on this person. And it was the longest sentence that his son had ever spoken. And I'm a father. I have three kids. And I think even if you don't have kids, you can start to get a little bit of chills when you like recognize like how important that was and how just amazing Mm -hmm. that was. And I, I still get a little bit kind of like, you know, you know, emotional when I think about it and everything. And we had a great interaction. And I told him, I said, you know, you've got to meet the designer. Like he's here, like the owner of our company. We'll get you to sit down and talk with him and everything. And I remember on that evening on the way back, I was talking with Brian, the owner, and John, the chief operations officer. And uh, John, I remember, was like, that's it. Like, we're done. We have hit the pinnacle (laughs) of feedback. We're never, ever going to be this high in terms of happiness of how we've affected someone's life. And I was like, yeah. And I stopped and I said, we're no longer making board games. And they both looked at me and they were like, what do you mean? I'm like. We make memories. Mm-hmm. That's it. I said, this This is a whole different level. And from that point forward, like I really feel, I, I kind of stumbled into this industry. I, I didn't, you know, nobody goes to Harvard no. for board games, right? Nobody, nobody has a degree in board game design, although maybe that's a thing soon because I know some colleges that are doing stuff like that. Um, but I, I retired from a career in high tech and I ended up in this industry. And I thought of it just as a career. And and once that happened to me, I was like, man, I have I have found my calling. Like this is it. This is this is my happy place. This is where I can do stuff that actually like brings smile to people's mm-hmm. faces. You know, we're not we're not curing cancer, we're not solving world hunger, but we're able to like deliver joy to people, which has made a just hugely profound difference in my life. So that, that moment was easily the the top memory I have in all of board. That's gaming. amazing. And I completely agree. I mean, the whole reason we're here is to bring joy and to share life experiences and letting people connect with each other that have difficulty connecting is even more valuable. Yep. So yes, thank you for sharing that story. That That's amazing. And, and I'm it's a little misty here in the studio for me. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, as a father of three, it was extremely impressive to hear that and to hear just what he's done to, you know, help his son and what his wife has done to help his son. And just, yeah, it was really cool. I guess going a little bit off of that then, in, in your all's opinion, because the story is beautiful, what, what, what makes gaming a beautiful thing to have in your life? Like, why, why, what is the most beautiful part about it for you? I think one of the most beautiful things about gaming in general, not necessarily just board gaming, but I think gaming in general is that it allows us to share an experience Mm -hmm. together and whether it's competitive or whether it's cooperative, it's something that everyone becomes equal at that Mm -hmm. table. 
once you sit down, it doesn't matter about your upbringing, your religious choices, your any anything that makes you who you are. You are still that individual, but we are suddenly all equal in the experience of what mm-hmm. we're doing, right? We all know, like if we sit down to play The Witcher, we all know what we're doing here and we get to share in that experience together. And what I've learned is that over the course of that time, whether it's a short 20 minute game or it's a long three hour game, the instances and the examples that come up inside the game suddenly allow us to start to learn about each other. And people ask questions or people make a move and they're like, oh, you're going to do that. It's like (laughs) you start to learn things about each other in ways that you just normally wouldn't by sitting around a table and talking to each other in general. And I, I really love that. I've been able over the course of the last 30 some odd years of playing in board games, I can go to a table of complete strangers and walk away with new friends. And they're people that in a normal, and and it's kind of augmented even more in today's society because of social media, we tend to kind of compartmentalize people based on their lifestyle or their beliefs or who they are. And there's times where, you know, you see it all the time where people argue on social media and they're like, oh, you believe this. I believe this. I hate you. Unfriend me. Just delete this, blah, 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 all that stuff and everything. But it's amazing to me how through board gaming, you can overcome those differences and learn to respect each other and learn to appreciate each other, even if you have differences of opinions like that. So I it's a really long way of saying that I actually think board gaming brings us together closer, which is what I love about it. So I 100% agree, but I'll expand upon that a little bit, right? So you're saying that people who are diverse can sit together and have a unique experience that they together have mm-hmm. interactively, but they have it from equal ground. I totally 100% agree with that. And then during that course of that process, you also meet and get to understand the people around you. I also will add in that you get to have a collective experience that becomes a story in your memory that you can relive later on. And I agree with you completely that you can have new friendships formed by it and new rivalries that happen from game to game. And you can play that second game with different people or the same people. And it becomes this kind of interesting little amalgamation in its own little ecosphere that then has tendrils that reach out to other things, kind of like a cosmoctopus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good callback. <laughs> what do we need? What do, do gamers need to do to help facilitate these experiences for new players? What do you think is the responsibility? Not, even, not responsibility is not even the right word. But like, what can we do if we want to bring people in? We want people to experience sure. these stories and joy. I'm pretty passionate about this because I think even even my company can do better at this, and I think everybody needs to do better at this. I think in general being more mm-hmm. welcoming as a uh, industry. And that includes several different things. I think it includes um, being more inclusive and being more diverse in the games that we make and the characters that are represented yes. in the games that we make. Um, having anyone be able to pick up a game and feel seen and feel welcome and part of this world, I think is extremely, extremely yep. important. Um, I I remember I was demoing a game um, at a show last year and there was a person that kind of got a little frustrated that a young child was going to play the game with them. Uh, And the kid proceeded to trounce it. (laughs) Um, That by itself is a great story. That could have been the story we told this episode. That's a great one. I love moments like that. That's amazing. 
it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, but to see that person's attitude shift from the expectation of I'm not happy this child is here to, oh my goodness, I need to like catch up and, and beat this person. They're like beating me. It almost, you could see them almost wash away from just being a child in their eyes to being a, an equal and being someone that they were, you know, enjoying that experience with. Um, but I, 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 when I think back to that, I think back to the automatic presumption of, oh, this player is younger. They're not going to be as skilled as me or as skilled as the other mm-hmm. people at the table. Just little things like that make a big difference. Um, one of my biggest gripes about our industry overall right now is how children's games are handled. Um, I I think back yes. to the games that I played when I was a child, things like Don't Break the Ice and, and things like that. Today, if you walk into a mass market store like a Walmart or a Target or wherever mm-hmm. it may be, a vast majority of the children's games tend to run around embarrassment or moments where people will laugh at the active player. And I think back to if I was a six-year-old or I was a seven-year-old and the first board game, quote unquote, that I get introduced to is a game where a toilet splashes water in my face and everyone else is laughing at me. Like, yeah, there's a moment of like collective laughter Mm. in that, but there's a lot of embarrassment with that. And I don't think that kids games today do enough to reinforce the hobby with the younger players and make them want to come back to it. I think there's actually a lot of exclusionary mechanics that are used that will make them not want to be part of gaming, which I don't feel people have really realized how big of an impact that can have. But I do have a really strong opinion that in about maybe five to 15 years, the market's going to go through a pretty different shift where... You've had these people playing, you know, don't step in the dog poop and pie face and things like that. And they're like, I don't want to play games like that's not my thing. Right. Um, So I think I think as a industry overall, we need to be careful about that. And I think as players overall, we just need to be very welcoming. That's that's the biggest thing we can do. I will second that and also throw out that I think we like to play with people that we know and there's comfortability in that. And that's wonderful. And I love going to conventions and seeing my friends from other conventions that I haven't seen in a long time. But that said, I always try to take a couple of games that I go to where I know no one because I look at those people as friends I haven't made yet. And there's a chance that those people will be my new best friend or my new gaming friend that I look forward to seeing at the next convention, the next convention after that. So part of being welcoming is also just meeting new people and sharing a game that you like or a game that you're experiencing for the first time with people who are also possibly experiencing for the first time. So no matter how much you love the friends that you have, always, always try to experience things with new people because you never know who your next best friend will be. I I love that idea of trying to go away from a convention with one new friend. I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. And going off of, I actually want to come back to what you were saying about kids' games too. Because you're, you're, I, I always like this conversation because I really do feel that there is so much to explore to you know, help bring people into this hobby with kids games. Because, you know, you look, like, like you said, there's like, don't shoot the poop or pie face. I, I really think that the next evolution of gaming should, I'm not saying it's going to, but I wish it would happen to make more 
I would say I, I have terrible English from more better kids games. Like Haba is like the one maybe company I can usually turn to that I can like they'll make a solid game that you know I I think I can enjoy. Like Animal Pawn Animal is really fun. Rhino Hero mm-hmm. is a great game and things like that. So are, are there kids games out there that you think facilitate a better welcoming experience for children than others? Yes. Uh, not to brag on our own, but I think Kids Chronicles does a really good job of that. I think one of the two of the best things about it is that you can play it within a minute of opening the box. You really just you open up the deck of cards, you start the app and you're off and running immediately. Um, but the other thing is that it doesn't require a lot mm-hmm. of reading. So even if English isn't your first language, you can still jump in and the app will help you know get you down the road, so to speak. Um, and I think that does a really good job of making it not just a game that kids can enjoy, but a game that parents will actually want to play with their kids. I think um, when, when you think about games that parents buy for their kids, they kind of fall into two categories. Either I want the kids to play this so mommy and daddy can get five minutes <laughs> of quiet time, or I want the kids to play this because I want to play this with them and I want to have a lot of fun with them, right? I think uh, you mentioned Rhino Hero. I think that game is absolutely fabulous. In fact, we just played it at Geekway to the West and seeing nice. all the families come together and, and jump in on that is just absolutely fabulous. There was, uh, I'm going to have to look this up now because the name of it is escaping me. Go for um, it. But there was a game that we played that was really, really good. And oh, Illiterati. Ah, yes, Gap Closer. It's not a game that I would immediately say is a kid's game. But it's a game that really challenges you around spelling and and it's a word Mm -hmm. game. And I think with the right family group, I think it could be a fabulous game for kids to not just enjoy this very diverse universe that they have of these bad guys trying to like steal your books and, you know, you're trying to save the library and things like that. But I think it does a really good job of like educating the kids as they Mm -hmm. play it. We played that at Geekway as well. And it was like one of the first things my wife and I said to each other when we were done, we were like, wow, this is like, this is a great game for like teaching kids like spelling because you, you'll get these cards and you have to spell not necessarily one word, but you have to spell multiple words using a certain number of tiles. So you could get crazy and spell like, you know, Triskaidekaphobia, or you could just spell, <laughs> you know, small little things and, and add them all up together and just a bunch of three letter words. So I think it's a fabulous, fabulous potential game for for kids, even though it's probably not going to be marketed for kids. So, I I would say also that most people don't give kids enough credit. So I would say anything that's a gateway game is a kid's game, right? Like I feel like Ticket to Ride, Cascadia, um, Mm -hmm. King Domino, anything like that is an automatic kids game. It's the game I give to my nephews and nieces at five, six, whatever, and they play no problem. And it's not like they're gamers. It just doesn't need to be dumbed down below that as far as I'm concerned. I actually have a belief that everyone is a gamer and they just don't. Fair enough. Yes. If you look at app stores, for example, the top 10 free apps in either the Google Play Store or the Apple uh, App Store are generally games or social media apps. And even if someone comes to me and is like, I don't play board games, I don't play games. I'm like, do you play video games? Yes. Then Mm -hmm. you're a gamer. And even if people don't do that and they're like, Oh, I just, 
I, I only handle business. Like I don't play games. I'm like really? Because business has conflict resolution and negotiation and resource management. So you're a gamer. You just don't realize it yet. Right? Do you play sports? And I've learned that when, right, if you play sports, those are games as well. Right. And it's amazing to me, you know, board gaming is nothing new, right? Like it's been around for thousands upon thousands yes. of years. And you can you know, do Google searches of games that they've uncovered in archaeological sites that are, you know, a social impact of things and that there were gaming halls in different places. So um, I, I truthfully think that I, I could probably sit down with almost anyone even the most grumpy, curmudgeon person who tells me that they don't like any gaming activities and find a way to relate to them and say, no, you're, you're really a gamer. You just don't realize it yet. So, Scott, thank you so much for sharing that, that wonderful story. We absolutely loved it. But we are really deep down, you know, in the, in the trenches right now, looking at different, like, beautiful, beautiful games floating amongst the seaweed. Let's go ahead and get on our sonar and see what's in our future. So on the sonar, we talk about one game we're looking forward to playing in the future. I just realized now that I talked about Den of Wolves, and I haven't even played it yet for the pre-launch. <laughs> I was just so excited to talk about it. So I guess you got to do so two. I should have. I had a different game. Yeah, I guess I got to do two. Um, I'll, I'll come back around to that. But if we go ahead, <laughs> Andrew, if you want to take away and start with your game. Yeah, absolutely. The time of this recording, uh, there's a new game launched called Roll on the Range. It's a roll and write by Danny Devine and published by 25th Century. As people on the podcast listeners know, I actually really like roll and write games. I feel like they are the perfect vacation game. You can take with you, you know, a, a marker and a couple of dice and you can play at the beach table or whatever and just hang out. Or if it rains outside, you can play a quick game inside or not. But I think they're really wonderful. They're very easy to take with you. And this is the newest one. This one's a kind of like embodying the farmer life. So if this was Agricola, the rolling right, maybe that's what you're doing, but you're, you basically got sheep and pigs and chickens and you're trying to put them in the little pens and you have a little uh, state fair and some upgrading and stuff like that. So this looks like a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to playing this one. And this one's already triple more than it was intending to fund at. And it's I got 14 days left to go at this point. So by the time you listen to this, I'm pretty sure it'll all finished, but maybe they'll have late backing. So we'll check it out then. Scott, what are you looking forward to? There's two things that are on my radar. One is probably on a lot of people's radar and one may not be. Um, I'm really curious and interested about Ticket to Ride oh, Legacy. Oh, yeah. I think Ooh, that, yes. that, yeah, that looks really, really, really cool. Uh, not a fan of the cover art, but that's just me personally. It's a whole other story. Um, the other one, and I almost got to play it this past weekend at a local convention, but I missed out on the opportunity. But I watched it, and it looks really, really cool. It's a game called Beast, and it is a hidden movement, kind of Fury of Dracula kind of thing. I've really enjoyed Fury of Dracula, um, but obviously it's a very hard game to find and, and an expensive game. Um, Beast is this one versus many hunter hunted kind of thing. Um, it's from Pegasus, I believe, is who's printing it in the English market. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely gorgeous. Like you look at the cover and you're just like, wow, this looks like something epic is about to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to try, trying that game out because if you get the right group of people, hidden hidden movement, and hidden information kind of stuff is like I've, I've played Stop Thief with some pretty heavy gamers <laughs> it. and it can become like an epic moment. So yeah, <laughs> it's it's really cool. Look. 
I always I will die on the hill that I think I this is totally an opinion, but I think hidden movement is the most is is the most best. See, my English is horrible. Is the most best form of gaming. I love hidden movement as a genre, and the best games I've played are hidden movement. Nice. But that's besides the point. So, as far as a game that I played recently, or again, I'm looking forward to, it's a game I'm looking forward to playing. I was actually going to say uh, Beast as well, because I have been listening to lots of different podcasts, you know, friends with lots of media people, and they've been talking about this one. So I'll just echo that. Like, I think I want to see if I can try this one on Origins, if possible, but it just looks so good. Like, I was hesitant at first, because it was like, hey, you're both hunting each other. I'm like, eh, I'm not... I mean, not too much into that cat and mouse feel, but the reviews, people are just saying it is, if you give it a chance and take your time with it, it's incredible. And I'm more than willing to do that. So yeah. I too, I too, Scott, I'm excited for Beast. Yeah, it's got, and it's more than just hidden movement. It's got um, card drafting in it as well, which is, mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily deck building. I think it's more card drafting, but it's, it, yeah, it looks fabulous. The cover has this like awesome beast, this three headed like oh, yeah. thing and one of the heads has arms coming out of it it's like it's just crazy looking it's really it was, cool oh uh, it, it was i remember when this when it came out crowdfunding the art is just oh, it's just breathtaking so such such a well done cover such a well yep. done cover okay well it is getting very stuffy down here in the submarine and we need to let scott go get back to his his job his life let's go ahead and shoot up straight to the surface and we'll we'll uh, we'll close this out Well, Scott, think, we know you're a busy guy, and we're really glad we were able to get you on after trying so many times yes, to do you. so. If people want more Scott Morris, they want to support you, what is the best way to do so? Uh, send checks to my home address. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> no. Um, if they want to support me, just go to LuckyDuckGames.com. Go to your local retailer, ask for Lucky Duck Games, things like that. You can find the company by just searching Lucky Duck Games anywhere on social media. Um, I myself, I'm uh, usually on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, my tag is usually Crits Happen, C-R-I-T-S-H-A-P-P-N. <laughs> um, I used to run a review show with that name a long time ago, and it's just always stuck. Nice. So, um, But yeah, feel free to reach out anytime. Well, Scott, thank you so much for all you do at the hobby. Lucky Duck is a is a powerhouse a powerhouse in the thank industry. You. And I think please keep making great games. You guys are doing awesome. And I tell your entire team, just from us here at Table.Submarine, we appreciate all they do. And all they bring Agreed. into this space. Thank you. I appreciate that. They will They will gra- greatly appreciate that. <laughs> Sounds good. As always, my name is Josh. And I'm Andrew. I'm number three. <laughs> I'm Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been Tabletop Submarine.